This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, thanks so much for checking out Health Yeah, your prescription for clear and concise medical health and wellness info. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can get a weekly dose of some really timely health topics. I'm Monica Robbins. There has been a lot of concern among pregnant women on whether or not to get the COVID vaccine. Studies are ongoing, but joining me to talk about it are two Cleveland Clinic doctors. Dr. Tosin Goji is an OBGYN and an infectious disease specialist. And Dr. Carly Lair is a pulmonologist specializing in lung transplantation. And Dr. Lair, you're also a new mom. When did you have a baby? I just had my first baby at the end of February. So you're still home on maternity leave, I would take it. I am. And uh, so how's mom life going? It's good. It, um, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but I think we're finally getting in the swing of things. So I'm interested in the fact you made a big decision while you were pregnant um, relating to whether or not you should get the COVID vaccine. What did you decide and why? I received my first dose of the COVID vaccine when I was 32 weeks pregnant. Um, And this was right around the time when um, many of the healthcare workers at Cleveland Clinic were getting vaccinated. Um, The first rollout of the vaccines happened in mid to late December, and I received it, uh, I think, the last week in December. Um, So at that time, there really wasn't a lot of data um, looking at pregnant women getting the vaccine. So I had um, a big talk with Dr. Goji, who is my OB-GYN during my pregnancy, and other specialists throughout the Cleveland Clinic to kind of ask people's opinion, because at that time, we really didn't have a lot of data to go. So Dr. Goji, what was your opinion? What did you suggest? My recommendation was for my pregnant patients who are exposed to COVID infection to get the vaccine. Are pregnant women at higher risk for COVID? Yes. Um, the CDC has some data that shows that pregnant patients who are symptomatic Uh, with the COVID infection, we're more likely to be hospitalized, more likely to be transferred to the ICU, and more likely to need some respiratory support, whether it's ECMO or to be intubated and ventilated. So Dr. Lair, because you're a healthcare worker, you are typically at higher risk. Is that why you chose to get it? Absolutely. Um, For me, it it was a decision I, I spent a lot of time thinking about because I was at higher risk being a healthcare worker, but then I had the compounded risk of being pregnant. Um, And at that time I was nearing my third trimester, which is, um, you know, a time where it's also a little bit more dangerous. So you decided to get it. You asked for information from your doctor. What is your advice to other pregnant women though, who may not be at higher risk? I think that the most important advice that I've given other pregnant women and that I would give to the women who are pregnant currently is to just have a very open conversation with their doctor because everyone's risk is a little bit different um, depending on what their exposures are, what their medical history is, um, and to not just think that because you're pregnant, you're not eligible for the vaccine. We know that the CDC 
says the vaccine should be offered to pregnant women. We know studies are ongoing right now. And the World Health Organization uh, says those in high risk should be vaccinated, meaning healthcare workers. But Dr. Goji, what about all those other women who may be having second thoughts about this or may not be sure this is the right thing for them? What do you tell them when research is still, we're still waiting for additional data to come in? Excellent. I mean, there are two things to really look at. The first is pregnancy is a high-risk condition. Pregnancy is a high-risk condition. There is a lot of interplay between the immune system and the body to accommodate the growing fetus. So pregnancy actually downgrades or downregulates our immune system. So pregnancy is a high-risk. Um, the other thing that we have to talk about with the patient is what is your exposure? I mean, some people are not healthcare workers or frontline workers, but they are still as, at high risk with exposure based on their community. What is the prevalence of the infection in your community and the type of job you do? So you have to look at all those things and then look at the benefits versus the, um, the, the side effects or the, the, the risk. The other thing you should also note is a patient who is diabetic, hypertensive, has cardiopulmonary disease in addition to pregnancy, though the prevalence may be low in their community, is at high risk if she comes in contact with SARS-CoV-2. So that, that was my next question was, what about those with pre-existing conditions prior to, or those who develop diabetes during pregnancy? Yes, those who have prior existing conditions, obesity, which is, we forgot to mention, being obese, Diabetic, whether it's a pre-existing condition or diabetes in pregnancy, hypertensive, moderate to severe asthmatic patients, patients with cardiopulmonary disease. Remember patients that might be immunosuppressed even prior to pregnancy. So having that discussion with your provider is important to actually look at what makes you at high risk, not necessarily just because you're exposed to patients. So Dr. Lair, did you have your baby tested for antibodies? I did not have my baby tested for antibodies. Um, it was not part of the kind of regular baby screening, um, you know, in the hospital that I was in. Um, I did, um, one of the things that you can do, particularly as a pregnant woman, is when you get your vaccine, you can register with the CDC. There's a, an application and a website called vSafe. Um, and as part of that registration, they gather data on the pregnant mom and then also the baby up until three months um, after they're born. Um, so that helps the CDC gather some more information about what happens to the baby as well. Were you nervous at all? I think for me, the thing I was most nervous about was contracting COVID. I think like everybody has been throughout this last year, um, my husband and I are, are both physicians and I think our biggest worry was that something that we would encounter doing our jobs would put our baby at risk. And so for me, getting the vaccine was actually, um, it felt like a breath of fresh air because I felt like it was the first thing I could do to really protect my baby. Dr. Goji, what is your advice to women who may decide 
they don't want to get vaccinated while pregnant, but perhaps get vaccinated afterward, because now we're looking at studies of whether or not antibodies can be transferred through breast milk as well. My advice is, first of all, for them to have a discussion with their provider. The other thing is, although, as you talked about this um, ongoing studies, there is um, a published um, study that looked at women that contracted COVID in pregnancy and looked at the transfer of IgG from the mother to the baby. And that also gave us an idea that mothers who contracted COVID infection in pregnancy, um, their babies had some IgG uh, transfer to, to them. And the higher the IgG, the mother, it correlated with um, the level of IgG in the, in the newborn. So that I think is a premise for the new ongoing study. And those are things we should discuss with our patients. That's also an, another issue, though, is we don't know how long those antibodies will last in the infant. Correct. And how protective they are. But, you know, um, the COVID-19 infection is a novel disease. We learn every day. And I think every step and everything we have, every tool we have to prevent COVID infection in the mother and newborn is welcome. Does it concern either of you that there is just so much misinformation out there? And I'm hearing from more and more people, even though millions of people have already received the vaccine and there have been very, very few side effects, that a lot of people are concerned of the fact that they know when they sign that waiver that if something does happen, they have no recourse. They can't sue the pharmaceutical company. And you know, there's a concern for a lot of people that this is still an experimental vaccine. How do you calm people? How do you allay fears when some of these concerns are legitimate? The concerns are legitimate. And the first thing is having that discussion with our patients. Every patient's concern is not the same. You need to know the angle from which this patient is coming. Is it from the COVID infection itself? Is it from the vaccine? Is it from the fact that they don't know the long-term consequences or how protective it is? Education from the grassroots up is very, very important. And as a provider, we need to be transparent to explain what vaccines are to our patients. I told a patient once, I said, we give the flu vaccine in pregnancy, we give the Tdap in pregnancy, but because this were not developed in our adult years, people have never really raised the question of how do we make the Tdap, how do we develop um, the flu vaccine? So those questions are legitimate and it makes my job as a women's health provider even more interesting. What we know about vaccination in pregnancy in general, I think we should always also have that baseline of what we know about vaccination in pregnancy. We've been vaccinating pregnant patients for some years now. What do we know about it? And the third point is this, vaccines are not all the same. It's important a pregnant patient knows the difference between a killed vaccine, an inactivated vaccine, a live vaccine, because I think one of the things that raises concern is there's a blanket statement about vaccine and differentiating the types I think helps a lot of the patients understand why this is safe, despite the limited data. 
So why do they want to know more about the the COVID vaccine? What type of vaccine is it? How do you explain it? So the first two vaccines were mRNA vaccines. They were messenger RNA vaccines. And I think these are the first set of mRNA vaccines that our patients are getting. So you have to explain two things. People hear RNA, DNA. For most women, it's the same thing as an NA. So you need to explain that these vaccines do not go to your DNA, which was one of the things, misinformations that was out there. Oh, it's going to change my DNA. It's going to change who I am. It's going to change the DNA of my unborn um, baby. So you have to separate DNA from RNA. This is an RNA virus, uh, an RNA vector, and it's also a messenger because pregnant patients don't want anything new incorporated into their baby's gene. This is not incorporated into the baby's gene. This is not affecting the baby's genetic makeup. This is a messenger that tells your body what to do. And when your body does it, produces that spike protein, your body now realizes that this spike protein is still strange to me. And then you develop antibodies. It's important they know the steps. We should not think our patients can't understand. They understand if we try to distinguish what the vaccines do to their bodies. For me, I think, you know, anytime you go through a treatment or you get a medication in pregnancy, you have to kind of weigh what's known and what's unknown. And many of the things we take for granted in pregnancy, you know, taking a Tylenol or taking a, a pill for heartburn, um, you know, we look at the studies of those and those are all kind of graded at different risk levels. And so that's one of the things that I've told people um, about is, is kind of, you know, in pregnancy, there's not a lot of things studied um, because, you know, pregnant women and unborn babies are kind of an at-risk population, right? So people don't do studies on them the way they do on healthy consenting adults. Um, and so I think that that, um, you know, trying to get people to understand why pregnant women maybe not in, in these kind of studied populations to begin with helps kind of forge that um, relationship when you're talking to people who don't understand why there's no data. Um, and so for me, I try to do just like Dr. Goji said, is kind of understand where that misinformation is coming from and then trying to bridge the gaps. And, and sometimes that's just explaining something else that's similar in pregnancy that we, we have similar amounts of data to, but we kind of take for granted. Final thoughts, ladies, Dr. Goji, what's the final thought you would like people to, to leave this podcast with? I think I have two thoughts. The first thing is this, COVID-19 infection is real. Pregnant patients are at high risk and you must always have that as the baseline to weigh if you want to get the vaccine or not. That is one. And what um, Dr. Lear said is very important. Pregnant patients traditionally have not been included in clinical trials at the initial phase, and this has not been different. So they shouldn't think that is another reason not to embrace this tool that we have to slow down or actually stop this pandemic from going on. Dr. Lair, what would you like to uh, leave people with? I would like to leave people um, with the, the thought that 
before you make the decision about if the COVID vaccine is right for you, it's important to have a conversation with your doctor and be honest about what your fears are. I think sometimes people are afraid to go in and say, I Googled this or I saw this on social media. Um, but sometimes identifying what those pieces of misinformation are in an open way helps people to make a more educated decision. So for me, that was the most helpful thing is kind of going straight to the source and getting good information. I'm so glad you brought that up because at the end of every podcast, we always tell people there is no way in health you want to go Googling just anything. So what websites would you recommend? Dr. Goji, I'll start with you. If people want validated, credible information, where should they go? They should always go to the CDC. The CDC always has updated information. And from the CDC, you can also go to ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They, they also always update. And you can check the health essentials from the Cleveland Clinic. We also have some updated information about COVID vaccine, COVID infection, and the COVID um, pandemic in pregnancy. Dr. Lair, any additional websites you would recommend? Those are the ones I went to as well. Um, for women who are at higher risk, the only other society I would recommend is the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. Um, they have great information as well and may be pertinent for some people who may have pre-existing conditions or a high risk pregnancy. Great advice from both of you. Thank you so much. I hope uh, all of you guys will follow me at Monica Robbins on Twitter and Instagram and my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC, to learn about upcoming podcasts and health news. And of course, stay up to date with WKYC.com, WKYC social and YouTube channels as well. Stay well, everyone. Thank you so much and have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.